it's the all things Georgia show infiltrated by the film don't lie guys. <laughs> and if we wanted to be really cheeky, we should have gone back through you guys, your previous episodes, and done film review of your performance on here and played it back. But that's what we should have done, Brent. It would have been fun. Would have been bad. I'd rather no, I don't think it, it progressively better, I'm assuming, just like just like with us over the years, very much so. I'm Dane Young. That's Brent Rollins. We're with UGASports.com. You're, if you're watching the show, you know Andy Stowe. You know Eddie from Rackworth. Um, this is all things Georgia. So we'll talk about everything that's happening. College football, a lot of the changes happening in there. I believe the last time you all had a show, Nick Saban was a coach. And now he's not. And Kalen DeBoer was at Washington, losing national championship. Now he's not. He's at Alabama. So let's, uh, I guess... Start with that, and Brent, I'm going to weave it into you, too, because you wrote an article on UGASports.com that I know Andy and Eddie wanted to discuss just about fixing college football and the calendar and things going forward. So I I guess if you want to give an overall premise of that, and then Andy and Eddie jump in after that with some questions. Uh, In terms of the article itself, I'm looking at college football. It's it's, You heard it started in me sort of thinking about it was, I mean, I've been thinking about it, but Kirby after the game talking about, hey, guys need to fix this. And it, it just becomes such a big conversation of, hey, can we fix college football? Can we fix these things? And then the Chip Kelly video came out where he's talking about his sort of plan and 64 and all those sort of things. And that's funny, by the way. Uh, Paul does look a lot younger. Uh, but um, but with that, it's it just got me thinking. And to me, I've long thought that – in essence, there are two sports combined into one. And that is kind of the premise of it, where you have sort of the haves. And even within the big conferences, there are certain teams that are have-nots. You know, mm-hmm. Vanderbilt stunk forever, but especially football. But And this is a football-only conversation, I think, because it's, it's separate and it's a different entity than anything else. And that's kind of what Chip Kelly was getting at. It was like, hey, Arizona should play UCLA in softball and tennis and things like that. And I agree with that. That should be regional. It's too – you shouldn't be all over the country. And they shouldn't have to go, Rucker, play, go play Rutgers on a random Tuesday in women's basketball or something like that. That shouldn't happen. But I, I think, to me, given that money drives everything now, college football playoff and the expansion of teams, I think it should be based on that. Some form of – I put in the article a commitment score where okay. it's – financial it's resources it's basically some way to figure out hey who are the top sort of 48 and 48 was the number that i just because it was even that was the number that i set on those teams should have a, a division of or a league of college football and then everybody else should too and they should be able to compete for a championship the cincinnati's of the world the i mean west virginia is probably right on the line of being in that 48 i don't really know like my my home state team oh i know even like your heart to say that i know but but like marshall marshall's never going to win a college football championship there's no like it but if they had a separate league that were there competing against sort of like teams there so that was sort of the the premise of everything i'm going to interject with one point just for your west virginia heart brent alabama needed a head coach last week and they you remember before they hired nick saban they offered that job to rich rodriguez Mm -hmm. well guess who's down the road over in jacksonville alabama Just waiting for the call, and Alabama didn't make it. Could have yeah. had Rich Rod. 2. Could have had Rich Rod 2.0, very, very much so. But that was the first part, sort of the two leagues and each having their own playoff, each having their own championship. I think that's one. Sort of the second point within that was looking at the schedule 
I think the schedule should finish at rivalry week. I don't think conference championships should exist. It's it's just an extra game that doesn't – with the expanded playoff with me, it just doesn't mean as much. You should have your divisions and you know, win your divisions at large. Use the BCS-type formula to figure that out. Uh, one, The other third, sort of third point was draft eligibility. I think you should be able to go pro after two years. I just – the old school days of – physical readiness and mental readiness and all that. That's no, these guys do football 24 seven from the time they're in seventh grade. Like they're, they're ready. If, and the elite of the elite are ready. And I, I don't think you should have, you should prevent a kid from wanting to do that. Some of that comes down to seven on seven culture too. Like I would yeah. say 15 years ago, that wasn't the case, but mm-hmm. as much competition of these guys go there, especially like if you're elite, elite quarterback, but you, know, uh, you tell been, me Brock Bowers couldn't have yeah. gone pro after two years. I yeah, mean, come on. Like Marvin Harrison Jr. Like it's yeah, still the 100%. exception, but like Miles Garrett, yeah, he'd have still been a high draft pick. I mean, no. he may not have been number one, but yeah. he'd been a high pick. I mean, I mean that's that's pro after the first year. I mean, that's I mean, Brock Bowers would have been, I think they were saying he would have been a first round pick after his first year. So yeah. I mean Jadavian and Clowney might could have gone to the pros straight out of high school with that body. <laughs> now uh he, he might not have been a high pick, but he'd have been on a pro roster. I just I think that is just logical to me is that those guys should be able to go as soon, as soon as they can. I think two years is good because to me two years ties in with the other part. And the other, the sort of the last thing that I put in there was the transfer portal record, recruiting part of it, where I think if you sign out of high school, you should be with that school for two years. And that to me is like that's what college is about. It's growth and learning and and struggling and going through all those things to where. You know, hey, if you got to climb your way up through the depth chart every couple year time frame, fine. And if you don't, after two years, go wherever you want to go and transfer at least one time. After that, graduate, then transfer. Because to me, there still should be a school element. I also think if you graduate, you should be able to play a fifth year. Like we've seen how much college football is better with these guys who stay uh, an extra year, how much it sort of adds to the the depth of potential title winners. And then, you know, that was sort of that was the last bit of it. So all that grouped into the because I, I wanted to start the solution conversation as much as anything. I, we, you hear so much about, let's fix it, let's fix it. Yeah. The, there's some actual written ideas that people can go hate on, they can like, they can do whatever they want, but at least it's something that's written to move forward with as opposed to this thinks, that thinks, that's how, you know, that's a problem, that's a problem. It's at least something to start with. So what do you guys think? Yeah, you are the voice of the fans. Reactions. Yes. Well, I, I loved it, Brent, and I th- I thought you had, and, and you're right because per- Kirby can get up on his microphone and say, "We got to fix this. We got to fix this." Well, that doesn't do anything, right? You laid out some things. This is how we fix it. And I, I give Chip Kelly some credit. He actually said some things, agree or disagree, that had some solutions to them. My question to you on how you 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 said 48 on the one A, right? You had a one A, two A, right? I don't remember how many, yeah. you said today, but you based that on kind of like. Um, attendance and uh, money in the school and how they've done record-wise, that kind of thing. And we can see, obviously, Vanderbilt's not a part of that. You, you made a joke about that, but you're right. So my first question is, how are those teams, those conferences, you said six groups of eight, right? Are those regional or does it matter? Or is it, how does that I don't, work? I don't know that it matters. I, the, way I put it, the way I put it in the article is I think you could, like, for example, if you had that score – whatever, however you want to term it, a commitment score, like you're going to have like Georgia, Bama, like they're going to be at the top of that list because right. of all the things that we're talking about record there. And if you equally distribute that throughout the, the different groups, 
where you have some level of degradation, at least from past experience, I think you get some something where, yes, it's spread out a little bit as much re regionalized as you can be. So but are you going? You don't, you don't basically put like Alabama, Texas, Georgia, uh, you know, all the powers in one. You spread okay. it out as best you can. Okay. I got you. That with sense. some with with the regional component built in as much as you possibly can. Like, okay. Michigan and Ohio State should play each other every year. Like the rivalry right. part of it should be in that thing. Oklahoma, Texas, they should be in one and should play each other every year. UCLA, USC, Oregon, Washington, like there should those should play each other every year because they're the, they're the sort of top two within that with each bucket probably. And okay. you want to have relegation, right? You want to have yeah, if a team struggles. Yeah. Yes, I know Dane loves. He's yeah, been you've been preaching relegation for. That's what gosh, I wanted to do. That yeah. was my that was my point B was the relegation thing, which I I knew Dane would love, and I love it too because I'm a yeah. big EPL fan. But I thought that part was fascinating. But you said they look at it every five to ten years, and they do relegation where the bottom two or whatever may get pushed back to the double A, and the top two move up. I would argue that you do that yearly and the relegation, you know, they come up, come down and that kind of thing. And they're always battling to come up. I think that would be fascinating to watch those teams battle it out to try to get up or move down. And the general principle of that is you create more entertainment opportunities, which we know is the driving factor for this period. Because, yeah. Eddie, you know this as well as I do, the relegation day in Premier League soccer when two or three teams are watching each other is about the most exciting thing in the sport Absolutely. other than when you get to World Cup uh, or – you know, one of the champions league. And they're, and they're or, not winning anything. They're right. not they're not winning anything. They're just moving up. Right? Does soccer do relegation every year? Is that a yearly thing in yeah. soccer? Yeah, okay. it is. It's the bottom three go down and then the the three from the next division come up. Yep. So basically you're having a game that's like it's the World Series in essence, but it's only just to stay in the big to league. To stay in the big Absolutely. league. Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah. like there's a money play to that too, which if there's revenue sharing across divisions would work. But I'm saying that like the day well, I don't know that we have SEC championships, but I've said for a while, the day of the SEC championship, you have that game at 4 o'clock, 7 o'clock, whatever you want to have it. At noon or 11, you have the relegation game, and it's on the same field. Or if you want to have a different city, you put it in Shreveport, and you just really make fun of the whole thing. But I don't know that college football is willing to do that. The only, my only, I do, I like the idea, and for the entertainment factor, 100% like the idea, because I'm all for, like, sports are entertainment. In the end, sports are 100% yeah. entertainment. Um, except for unless you're getting paid to play, then it's competition. Uh, but I think football is obviously a little bit different, and that's probably would be my only pushback in that, hey, now if, you know, think of a, a job opening or something, like even what Mark Stoops has built at Kentucky, he had the time to build it to something where it's sustainable and there's it's actually real now as opposed to if he didn't get that built in a year or two, he'd have to maybe go back down. I, I mean, that no, was but at only one team, that. you would have to be so catastrophically bad. Yes. Like, you have to be yeah. Arkansas under um, Chad Morris. Chad Morris. Chad Morris. Yeah. yeah. You have to be that. You have to be some of those Tennessee years would have been down there. Yeah. Um, you know, yes. the Butch Jones. But like, Florida would be on the cusp of that. Like, Florida would have a decision yes. to make. Do we make a move right now or do we risk this continuing to go south and be in the relegation zone, so to speak? <laughs> but like, if Vandy's in there, and Mississippi State's in there. You trust that Florida's better than that, but I don't know. I don't know. This year they might only win three games. So, and Darren in the chats asked the same about you know argument uh, limits for kids when coaches can go whenever wherever they want. That was a caveat that I put in the article. Yeah, mm -hmm. like, I think that's always the 
if a coach leaves, you can transfer. Like you should be able to move if they move. But if I, but I also like ideal. What's the ideal situation? The ideal situation is that you, as a coach, recruit that kid from the time they're in ninth grade, you know, eighth, ninth grade, tenth grade. Spend all that time and effort and money uh, getting that player to commit to your school and come to your school to play for you. Then you at least should be able to. They should be there for a couple years to so you can sort yeah. of they can grow under you, and then you can get some form of you know payout, I guess you could say, in terms of production. Mm-hmm. So, but if hey, you do all that, coach leaves after one year, boom, you could transfer. I think that's always a caveat that should be put in place for transfers. Well, it's like kind of the same thing with Bama when the portal just opened up. You know, that's it's almost there with a 30-day thing since Saban left. So it's kind of already in going yes. that way. So and just making sure that it stays because yes, yeah. that's, that's a good thing. I, I do think one of the things that my the ideas that I put forth would put in place is you'd have a little bit more chances for parity. I think the powers that be are always going to be like Ohio State, Georgia, Alabama, Texas, like because of where the talent is just from a high school kid perspective. Yeah. Like, for example, West Virginia, the, my home state and, and school there. There's if it's if there's four or five division one players in football in a single year, then that's a banner year. Like Buford has four or five SEC players on their team. Like the entire state of West Virginia has four or five division one signees in a great year. So you're just the competition there. It's always going to be slanted towards where the recruiting is, but I think you get more parity, which I also think, I mean, we're kind of trending a little more parity and next year is going to be the ultimate uh, sort of wait and see approach with, with that. Cause as you add more games, does it just mean that the teams with the more depth from elite talent standpoint, continually went out, but we didn't necessarily see that this year, though Michigan, I think, was a, a right champion. But it's a it, everything. The point being, with all the parity, you much like you're seeing in the NFL, matchups matter mm-hmm. infinitely. Like, for example, this year, I think Alabama was the only team that was uniquely built to beat Georgia. Yeah. I think Georgia beat Michigan, would beat Michigan by two touchdowns. But also, I think Washington would be a little bit scarier of a matchup for Georgia than Michigan would be. Because of the style of play and where the athletes are, I do think Georgia would likely dominate the line of scrimmage with Washington. But from a, hey, scare me standpoint, I think the wide receivers and yeah, the wide receivers and the built and the QB, if you didn't get pressure, yeah, because of how Georgia was built this year. But you're going to see that moving forward where, you know, five or 10 might be seven and 10 might be a great matchup versus two, but a horrible matchup versus three. So, it's just going to be, it's going to be interesting to see, but that was my I idea. Love, we'll, we'll see. I love it. I, I love everything you said with our additions, obviously, but <clears throat> realistically, <laughs> realistically, none of this happens if football doesn't break away from the NCAA and they have their own commissioner. None of this happens. It's not even discussed, be, right? Yeah. Because the, because the conference, the power right. of the conferences are still right. going to, and the money that goes with that and the money that's associated with that, it's, But like Chip was saying, you know, if you make it as a sort of one deal and there's Mm -hmm. revenue sharing within that, now you build the revenue sharing within that. Okay. Alex Page brought up Alex Page brought up the um, class schedule. So that's the kind of the tricky thing 
You don't think it matters? I work in academia. You can fix that all you want. <laughs> so, so is Dane. To, so to is some, Dane, but yeah, to, there is some, a little bit of that. To some degree here, the court is going to decide what happens with this because um, legis- well, judiciary areas of this country have to decide are high-level college football players that bring in oodles of money for lots of people, employees yeah. of that university, and therefore employees of the state? That's the question. Or a mm-hmm. private school of their you know, endowment, or like whatever. Like, Are they employees of that? And I think eventually yeah. that answer is going to be yes. Yes. Well, and, like I even think back so, to my time as a graduate student. As a graduate student, I got a tuition sort of waiver, which, okay, that's kind of like a scholarship, right? Mm-hmm. And then I was had a stipend for being a teaching assistant for the four, for the five years I was in graduate school. That's much like what the players would be uh, at this point in time. But the the labor law aspect of this, and I don't know if you guys have ever seen it. It's now behind a paywall, I think. But there's an article. It was written in 2011 in the Atlantic, is the the name of the publication. But it literally went through like the history of the NCAA, littered with just corruptness and figuring out ways to, uh, you know, avoid taxes and all the things that goes like, it's just a mess when you look back through the history of what led to our current day sort of world within the NCAA. Go look at the net worth of Mark Emmert, the former president of the NCAA, and then think about all the people that did things for free for him to have that salary. And it's not just him, but he's just the the figurehead of that. So then you get into the question of, all right, if you're an employee of a university, are you then required to actually take classes? To go to class. That's where it's, yeah, that's where it's going to get I'm an employee at the University of Georgia. So am I. I'm not, yes, we're not required to go to classes. Exactly. Now, if I want to take classes, I get to do that for free. For free. For the most part, with the tuition assistance program, which I did to complete my master's last semester. Let it go, Dane. Um, and so with all that said, I do think that there's a day of reckoning coming where you have to mm-hmm. ask yourself, are athletes required to do those things? But, and that I also gets so. into the other sports either. I mean, because obviously you have the non-revenue sports and football's driving the world, but can well, you say, go ahead. I, I think the piece of this is that like the university of Georgia's best PR just as a university is that football team and that yeah. G. They get more students that want to come be a part of that than they could ever buy with any marketing oh, yeah, for budget, sure. right? For so sure. they have a vested interest in maintaining a relationship to that. So I think eventually what happens is you want to come be a football player at Georgia? It's fantastic. You get to do that. You want to take classes? Cool. We'll facilitate that. You don't want to take classes? All right. Don't do your it. call. Which means more practice and phone time for Kirby. And he's like, yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> more practice. More film. And because like most of these most of these players, uh, Georgia may be slightly different in terms of percentages. Like they're going to play college football and they're going to need to get a job in a couple of years. Yep. Even a couple of them that get a, a you know a cup of coffee in the NFL. There's very few that can make a lifetime living at the NFL. Even the ones that come through Georgia right now. And so having the opportunity to do college and build into that network that's super valuable. Well, it's it's going to be fascinating, and I do think in the end the playoff and now i i think they really screwed up by the top four seeds not having a home game like yes that to me that that's another thing i put in there that's a travesty yeah, that's like, the first two rounds should be played at home sure yeah. and like the way i put it so if you had a if you had a 12 team playoff in the top league and then the other league had a 12 team playoff first two rounds of each at home 
Then you have six games that are technically semifinal and then championship games. There's your New Year's six. So on New Year's Day, you play the semi, the two semis for the other, the lower league, and then you play the two semis for the higher league, and then they have the championship games, uh, you know, however long later. Even so. if you couldn't do the first round, just flip it to where, like, having a home game is a big advantage, especially at that time of year. So reward the top four teams for getting it. <laughs> just flip it well, around and make the it good work. Or I could just – be talking and saying nothing, as, as yeah. Mr. Hayes points out. <laughs> that's not my burner account, I promise. Yes, that's, that's, it's Paul. <laughs> it's, it probably is Paul. It probably, yeah. The no, I, I do. They, they, go ahead. A college football fan, and I'm older than all of you guys, okay? and You don't and look watch, it. No, well, thank you, but I am. And I watched college football for years, and nothing changed. It was old school. You know, we got to do it this way because it's always been done this way. And Brent throws out a lot of stuff that, in my mind, seems radical and seems like that would never happen. This would never happen. That would never happen. But within the past couple of years, guys, oh, yeah. I've seen more changes in college football than I could have ever dreamed of. I mean, just the fact, what, three years ago we were arguing, hey, we got to keep it at two teams. That's the way to go. Expanding to four, that's nuts. That makes the regular season absolutely meaningless. And then we're going to 12 next year so. Brent, I think some of your changes are going to be seen quicker yeah. than you think. I heard, well, uh, I think it was Chuck, Chuck Oliver on, on his radio show this past week. He was one that was against the four. Absolutely. He said, he said it's going to be 32. Like his thing was, it's going to be 32. And it's going to, I, I, I just listened to a quick segment when I jumped in the car to come home one day. And he's like, yeah, it, we're going to end up and it's just going to be 32 teams and they're going to have their own league. And it's just going to be kind of like, you know, NFL like, yeah, just, yeah, yeah, I think so too. I, that's what I think it's going to just keep expanding because they want more games. So, I mean, Eddie, if well, I would have gone back in time and when Fred Taylor was a really good player at Florida and I said, Hey, next year he's going to transfer to Georgia, you'd be like, What? Like, that makes no sense at all. And, and you get it this year. I also think next year, guys, it's yeah. all about revenue and they're going to look at that that matchup on the first round of the playoffs and be like, Oh my God, the people are real. This, this many people are turning into this first round playoff, which is supposed to be a blowout, right? It's supposed to be an awful matchup. This many people are watching this. Many people are going, they're going to change their mindset on this. Oh, see, I don't think the first rounds will be that. I think they're going to be mostly great games because like well, once you're in the group, of, that's, I mean, that's, the, that's the concept is that these first round games are going to be terrible. That's, that's the idea. That right? That's where, and maybe the NFL is like this too. And I just don't watch enough of it, but like five through 12 in college football is pretty darn close. Right. One through four tends to One through four is the next yeah. level. Yeah. That's, that's I think I agree. Though speak the NFL this weekend has been kind of oh, it's not, been awful. not close. This is a good transition. So I'm going to bring in our pre-show into this because Brent, Give the point that you had about Packers quarterbacks because I have done the research while you guys are talking. I, maybe they're onto something. Maybe they know what they're doing because they're going to, you know, Jordan Love looks like an absolute superstar right now and is grown into that over the season, over this season. And they get, might go right around 40 years with three quarterbacks. Like, Those three insane. quarterbacks being Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers, Rodgers and then and Jordan, Jordan Love continues at this rate. All so where the, you took a, you, we're all where this next guy sat for three years. I think both Rodgers and Love sat for three years, played in their fourth. So this goes back to 1992, and because the question I had is, who were the backups for those guys? Now I'm discounting Rodgers being a backup for Favre and Love yeah. being a backup for for Rodgers. So the math may be off a little bit because of that. 
Here are the names. And this is just fun. This is Doug, classic. Doug Peterson's one of them because him and Farber boys. Just, Matt Hasselback. Just, just name some guys. That's what we do here. All right. Packers backup quarterback since 1992. Don Majkowski. Majkowski. Yeah, Don Majkowski. Sure. Yeah. He was a starter before Farber. Yeah, yeah, Denver. yeah. Sure was. Ty Detmer. Yep. Yeah. Mark Brunel. God, that's right. He, yeah, he got drafted. Rated, he got yeah, drafted Jackson. for Jacksonville. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Jim McMahon. Oh gosh, Dude, I didn't remember that one. Steve Bono. Did remember that one. Doug Peterson. Yeah. Matt Hasselback. Craig Nall. Matt Flynn. Yeah, Flynn. One game had one great game. Got him a contract. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. Graham Harrell. Didn't Scott Tolzien. Yeah, I knew that one. Brett Hundley. Deshaun uh, Kaiser. Yes, Tim Kaiser. Boyle, and now Sean Clifford. Uh, Jet New York Jet Tim Boyle. That at least the Falcons beat them. I mean, those guys should have a get together every year and just watch Packers. Yes, hey. Matt Flynn made serious bank on that Seattle contract uh, <laughs> off of one game when, when Rodgers set. That, that's that's hundred percent. But yeah, that, that's they might be when we look at quarterbacks and how you go about developing them. It's like, hey, one franchise has done it a certain way, different than everybody else. And they've got it right. Like well, even it's the, it's the not always, like the Falcons haven't had a ton of quarterbacks, right? It was a big chunk of Vic, well, big, and big chunk of Chandler, big chunk of Matt Ryan. And what was their biggest mistake? Their biggest mistake was not dra- drafting QBs in the later parts of right. Matt Ryan's tenure. They always yeah, were having that to fix the, the roster. Like I remember seeing an article. I don't know if it was the last year of Ryan's tenure or the year before that. But in terms of resources put into the quarterback position from a draft capital standpoint, they were the fewest in the league since Ryan had been drafted. Like, I want to say they'd only drafted like two guys, maybe potentially. Uh, and it was just low numbers of people. But like Matt hey, Schaub was one of those guys. Yeah. So, yeah, mm-hmm. they, they, they're getting it right because hey, I actually dunked a, on Dan Quinn today. Brent, from a per- football perspective, I want to ask you this real quick. Is that pressure that Dallas feels? fan base, coaches, et cetera. Is that a real thing felt by the team going into this game? Because they're under all this pressure to win this football game. And Green Bay, just like, whatever, let's just go out there and win the foot. We don't care. We'll just do whatever. Does does CeeDee Lamb feel that pressure? Does I know Dak does because he's been there a while. But do those players feel that as much as everybody else around the organization to win this football game? There's such pressure to do it. I think when they had the start, they did. Yes, I think if once the once the balls kicked off, like a lot right. of that goes away. Right. But then when you see the snowball starting to, then they start thinking on the it. hill. Then yeah. I'm sure, like, because you could see, even like I watched a decent amount of the game. Dak was trying not to turn Impressive. the ball over once yeah. once it got to a certain point, and once he'd had it, you know, had a couple of picks. Uh, and that turned into the pick six. One was huge, but you could just see him patting the ball or throwing it, just not as not just letting it rip, not just hitting his uh, you know, back foot in there. But you know, you you make those play, you don't make those plays early, and then those things happen, and now you're in trouble. But the biggest thing for them was they couldn't stop Green Bay at all, and that's yeah, 100%. Like, it, it goes back to I don't know if you guys listened to it in the off season. There was a podcast series that Jordan Rodriguez of The Athletic did, and it was McVeigh and Shanahan and Mike McDaniel, all those guys talking about that sort of system and that coaching tree. And in that podcast that talked specifically about Shanahan going to the Falcons 
and just hanging out with Dan Quinn and learning his defense. <laughs> that 2015, he spent learning Dan Quinn's defense so then he could basically exactly. annihilate the league just in 2016 and break all the rules. So, yes, another ex-Falcons assistant. Like, you look back at that coaching staff in 2016, Shanahan, LaFleur, McDonald. McDaniel. Or McDaniel, yeah. They were all there. McDaniel. No, no. Oh, well. I, th- I think one thing, too, Eddie, is that turnovers are such a killer in the NFL and to some yeah. extent in college, too, that teams just don't play as aggressive. It's why you see a lot of games ending up, like, 20 to 17. It's just like, let's give ourselves a shot in the fourth quarter. And so when you have to be aggressive earlier in a game, mm-hmm. more mistakes are possible because you're not playing your game anymore. You're not playing right. your game plan. I, you saw it with the Browns yesterday, too, where oh, it's yeah. like kind of in striking distance, but when Joe Flacco had to go throw, uh-oh, he's still yeah. Joe Flacco. Yeah. So, so I think transitionally, who are Andy and Eddie's choices if you could make a choice right now? Because James has a little bit of knowledge in terms of who I wouldn't mind seeing the Falcons. Uh-oh. So I heard you calling on Bill Shank's show the other day, Brent, and and I know that's who you're going with. And you and, and Bill's point, in which I think I feel the same way Bill does, will Arthur Blank let a coordinator do what he needs to do? Or do they have to have someone like a Bill Belichick that's in, that'll say, get away from me, I'm running this how I want to? So I think that's the only – my issue is Arthur Blank more than whoever the coach is. So who so, would you pick, though? Like, who would, would be pick, your pick? I would pick Belichick just because I think he would be able to run the show. I think he will tell Arthur Blink to get out of the way. But that's who I would go with if I was picking today. Eddie? I'm going to stick with it. I've been I've been on Jim Harbaugh the whole time. It's not going to happen, but that's my guy. I would take Jim Harbaugh in two seconds. He wins everywhere he goes. I mean, 100%. He, he won at Stanford. Like, the huh? dude won high-level football at Stanford. That's right. That's Beat so the Falcons hard. in the AFC Championship. Remember that? Uh, that I, was was, there. I was there. I was in the building. I was too. It was horribly painful. Uh, by the way, that was interference. That was interference <laughs> on the last play, but we didn't get the call. Anyway, um, yeah, Jim Harbaugh is my guy. I don't think it's going to happen. There's absolutely no smoke there. I don't see anything about it. So I think it's going to be an assistant. But um, <clears throat> the only fear I would say is with Jim Harbaugh. He comes in. I think he's big on J.J. McCarthy, and I want no part of that. No part of that. I will say the Harbaugh choice to me, I think would be a great choice. I want to, I think I heard the number on a podcast this past week. I think his winning percentage in the NFL is something like 70%. It's in high 60s, 70% ish. Like the two straight wins in the NFL and does it quickly Mm -hmm. and builds physical football teams, knows how to sort of build from the inside out. Like, I, I think he would be a good choice. My in terms of me looking at Slowick, I, I just think that offense and that system, it just works. It just it's you get the right, you know, they know player types, they know how to like that's what LaFleur and Green Bay, that's Minnesota. Sure that's did last night, last night like, it was on fire last night. And with Houston, what Slowick's done with with CJ Stroud in Houston and you know, taking a rookie QB and some receivers that people really didn't know who they were and, you know, a whole really an offensive somewhat no names other than Tunsil. And they've straight balled out for the most part of the year, especially when Stroud has played. Now he's obviously been on a whole other level, but that's one where I like, and him and cousins were together in Washington. That was the thing I made the point to bill on the radio show. Cousins and Slowick were together in Washington. Slowick was an assistant there. 
Uh, so could you get Cousins here, draft another guy, play play with Cousins for three years, something like that? But I don't. I agree. I don't see the Vikings letting Cousins walk. He's kind of ingrained himself there. But I think your principle is good in the sense that, like, the head coach needs to be someone that is going to attract a quarterback that is a difference maker because that's the biggest problem on the team so far. And where the Falcons draft, I don't see them being able to find that in the draft this year. So it may be at least another year away. So is there a short-term fix out there that a Bill Belichick's cachet can be like, yeah, come to Atlanta and work with me? Who's your, have Who's your coach, Dane? Who's your coach? Well, I well he's a Saints fan. I need to the fire Dennis Allen first. <laughs> I can't stand that guy. And play and play Jameis for, for more fun games. Let Jameis be the head coach. So that's what I want. Well, Brent, do you have an issue with, say, the Falcons? Let's say they go out and get a, a, a position, coach, you know, a coordinator. They don't get a Belichick or someone like that. Do you have an issue with the current structure of Blank and McKay and um, – um, Terry Fontenot. I mean, that's always going to be an issue, but I will say this, at least when you look at the draft part is one for like, that's a little bit of questions there. They've taken great players. I don't think that Smith has obviously used those players from an offensive standpoint, right. but the free agent part, like if you're Fontenot and like you're spending money and you've had free agent signings and you've done it the last few, like if you look at their, Basically, their three, their four or five best defensive players. It was guys yeah. they signed in free agency this year. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. Jesse Bates was an absolute home run of yeah. a signing. Calais yeah. Campbell, the fact Calais that Campbell. that dude does what he does that for the, his the age. years he's done, it, his yeah. age yeah. is unreal. Um, Anyamata was big time. Obviously, didn't play as much in the end of the end of the season. Uh, Ellis, Caden Ellis, uh, you know those guys. Like those, I think were four of the five highest graded players yeah. on the defensive side of the ball. And you get Grady back. Yeah, like, I. I I think, you know, I, who knows? I, it's always going to be an issue with with the way this structure is. And that's what's interesting about Belichick is would he come into that and or would Arthur Blank say, hey, you know, do your thing? I, I just don't want Belichick picking the players. He's done that for a long time in New England, and he's not done it well. Like, but it's not like the picking of the players for the Falcons in the draft has been – that great and even when they get talented guys it seems like they don't know how to use they waste them they don't even pick. use the halfback and yeah i mean they don't they just don't they're well, wasting look, picks so. I, i'm gonna forever say that yeah Bijan robinson was a, he's a good player and he's gonna yeah. have a good career in the nfl but it's not a position of value so economically <laughs> it didn't make sense when Jalen carter was right there yep. and like imagine that defensive line with what you guys are talking about with Jalen Carter. Jaylen Carter. And you yeah, Tyler, yeah, Algier, Tyler Algier got a thousand yards a year before. I mean, yeah, he's pretty yeah. damn good for running back. But not just that. Like, you can just find backs. Like, you yeah, can get a back. Was, he was great this year for back. the Raiders. Yeah. You can find a guy. Yeah. There's plenty of guys. Aaron Jones that just had a monster day for the Packers yeah. and has had a great career. He was so a. Back to, that, back to the eighth pick. He was like a, he, he was late lady. six or, yeah, he was way to leave. Yeah. Sorry. Dane, it sounds no. like you don't think Jaden Daniels is going to be there at eight. Is that what I just heard from you? Kind of. Potentially, but like, do the Falcons trust that Jaden Daniels is the difference maker that they need? I, so, if he's sitting there at eight, you don't think he they take him? I'm not sure. Is my answer. It depends how much they love him, how durable they think he is. I, I think that's the biggest question with him. Is NFL? I mean, Anthony Richard. He was Anthony Richardson was out with him what four games this year? Out for the yeah. year? Like Jaden yeah. Daniels may be more brittle than that. Okay, so if the Falcons are at the eighth pick. And let's just say Jaden Daniels is there. Do you draft him or do you you go somewhere else? 
I'd probably take them just because like me and Brent talk about this all the time. Like you take quarterbacks until you have one you like. And so is that assuming assuming they don't sign a free agent quarterback, right? I mean, that's going to, that's going to play really the only true worthy free agent. I think this year, like, What's hey, amazing Russell to me? And Jimmy Garoppolo are out there. You could sign I mean, one of those two. You know, you just look at the that. Falcons' quarterback room <laughs> and you say they need three new dudes in there to compete for that next year. I, I, they I think they, it totally it totally changes. Like all three guys, like Ritter in the last game may have ended his career. Like is he even a backup QB next year? I don't know. Like yeah. he's probably somebody that's working out consistently. But I, I do think you have to completely flip that room and. What's amazing when you think about how the decisions they made, they obviously paid Heineke money. They paid Heineke more to sit than what Tampa played Baker to play. Yeah. Baker okay, like well, two million. Justin Fields, yes or no? That's, I think that's the I, – I, if, if that's your option versus anything else, trade for him, yes. I would trade for him, and then I would, I would still draft somebody in the first – like I do think though, if you trade for Fields, you draft Penix in round two. You draft yeah. uh, Spencer Rattler in round four. You right. do that route, but I, I don't mind that. What and would you give up for him? Does it cost you though? Does it cost yeah. you that first round pick and the first? I, I don't think it should. Year? No, I don't. I don't think it would cost. Not for what Justin's pick. contract situation is going to turn okay. into, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the Jaguars are in that quagmire going forward, and they have a better asset, right? But they have to determine, is Trevor Lawrence worth generational money for what his production has been? And right. they're going to say yes, because, like, what other option do they have? Yeah. I, the field's his issue has always been the same. Like, it was it's the same issue at Ohio State. He holds the ball forever. Mm-hmm. Like, in terms of just throwing the ball and the mechanics of throwing the ball and being accurate with the ball, he's, one of, he's very accurate. But it's just getting rid of it. And I think I actually think he would have been decent in that type of system, Arthur Smith's system. But you know, I I, I don't mind taking that chance. I, whatever they do, like I think they completely flip the room. No Ritter, no Heineke. Trade, sign, trade, whatever, and then draft. Like it, it, it has to be done. And I do think the prospect of a Fields running with Bijan Robinson probably makes that pick better. Yeah. Yes. If they can work off of each other, like that feels right more OC. modern NFL. Yeah, if it's the right play, right head coach. Yeah, yes. and, it, and obviously, it all of it depends on the coach. Like I think sure. that's how that, get, get that, get that taken. Any good care. coach adapts to that. Like, did anyone think that Todd Munkin and Lamar Jackson were going to be simpatico all year? Well, guess what? Todd Munkin's a really good offensive coach, and he can kind of work with the tools that he has. And you know the beautiful part about that: what Munkin learned, and I've made this point a couple different times on things, but. We, we saw true Munkin to me in 2020 when you had no prep, you had COVID, you had all that, like, and it was more pass happy down the field. It was more of an NFL offense. And then that off season, they bring in a bunch of different guys and different voices and they go together and they say, Hey, how can we be efficient and get back to sort of the college element of things, more screen game, more quick game, all the stuff. And you blended his two sort of systems. And that way you got great 2021 and 2022. And he took all that that he learned at Georgia and sort of started using it, Georgia, and placed it with Lamar. And I think that made Lamar a much better QB. Did you guys see Quay Walker's comment on Justin Fields? Did not. He said, whenever we can keep him in the pocket and allow him just to play quarterback and not allow him to run, we got a real, real good chance of winning that game. So 
It says a lot. When I mean, of course, you know, it's, it is a little, there might be a little bit of jab right there. It could he wouldn't be. mind it, jabbing that guy. And that's what I mean. So that's one of those, but yeah, that says a lot though. So now, Eddie, you asked me about like, would I be sold on, on Jaden Daniels? And I hesitated in the context of this particular draft. I don't know that I'm sold on Caleb Williams anymore. I don't yeah, know I mean, that I'm sold on oh. Drake May anymore. And yeah. so I, I think you're kind of shooting blind with any of these quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. And last year we thought Bryce Young was the best quarterback and we'll, me and Brent were pretty high on Stroud after what he did against Georgia, but yeah. the sample size for the entire year wasn't that one game. And Stroud has been by far and away maybe the best rookie quarterback we've seen in years. Yes. And yeah. so finding an, another one of those this year, like Caleb Williams may be that guy. And if you have a high pick, you probably have to take the chance if you need a quarterback. But, yeah. You take the chance because the ceiling is, you know, there is no ceiling. Yeah, but it, it he just clear. seems like he's a little more high maintenance than a CJ was. Yeah, 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 no doubt. But it was clear to me in that press conference, guys, that Arthur Blank, without saying this, basically said, I have two to three more years to win a championship. I've got to get this done. And and he's making those decisions now. We've got to win now. I want my ring. I've got to have that before I retire, pass away, whatever. He didn't say that, but you know what I'm getting at, right? Yeah. It's a win-now mentality, and Jaden Daniels, Caleb Williams, Drake May, are those yeah. win-now? We That that could be a three- to four-year thing. We don't know that. That's why I think Brent's right on the Kirk Cousins thing. You said it may not happen, but that's kind of what I see happening is an established quarterback coming in here. I keep saying it, Jim Harbaugh coming in here with one of those established guys. Yep. That's a win-now mentality. I guess the scary thing of a Belichick potential to Atlanta is, you know, he still probably likes Garoppolo. Yes. <laughs> From what, a decade ago? Yeah, he really wanted I, I, to, he wanted Garoppolo to take over for Brady. So. I do think Belichick ends up in a place that doesn't have a job opening currently. Ooh. And that's somebody who's in the playoffs right now and they just, maybe got, just got their got drilled. Yeah. destroyed. So you're asking if the Falcons want Mike McCarthy. That's, That's the question. Do the Falcons want Mike McCarthy, who only really won Belichick one, one World Series? Wait a minute. Wait a I minute. Mean, Super Bowl. Back up. Hold on. Do you think Belichick goes to work for Jerry Jones, Brent Rollins? Is that really what you think happens? Jerry yeah. Jones? Really? Because yeah, he wants to win. And I, I think I think that record matters to him. The, the Jerry Jones? Shows, I, he, his checks cash too. I mean, y'all were sitting here worried about Arthur Blank's meddling. And then, you know, yeah, he's 100 times worse. That's what I'm saying. That's the point, right? I, I think Belichick is confident he can go wherever, get his money, he's probably you know, right. be they're fine. Probably. And then if he doesn't like it, he'll leave. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speak, it, we probably need to talk a little bit about, you know, since we're on the Georgia Bulldogs football <laughs> YouTube Not Dallas. page. Uh, some some cowboy tears are always nice. I it never that never bothers me. No, there's a new there's a new coach in town. Uh, first, we have to say, KC did a super chat to say to hell with McCarthy. And I just assuming, don't know with the kid. The kid's got talent, but this yeah, is one you think this is either KC is a Dallas fan and he's very very frustrated tonight. Yeah, that's yeah. what I thought he was. Yeah. That is yeah, wait, that he's saying hell to JJ. I think he's probably Dallas fan. Or the I, I'm sure. I, I think right. clarify that. Okay. I, it yeah. could have a double meaning, and it could be correct on both. Yes, I agree. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Um, well, Brent, guys, tell us a little bit about T. Rob. I'm I'm curious what your what your thought process is with T. Rob. I mean, because he's known as excellent recruiter, excellent coach. I mean, and you get that same mindset. Like the recruiting part for me is what 
matters as much as anything, mm-hmm. especially given the fact that Muschamp is not like completely going away. Like right. he's still going to be in the building. He's still going to be sort of, you know, watching things with his glasses down to like right here and mm-hmm. whatnot. So given the fact that he's still in the building, you get another great recruiter. You get the guy who obviously along with saving got Caleb's downs to Alabama. I pointed this out though, Brent, like, all right, so you lose the glasses, the dad look that most champ has, but have you seen the visors that T-Rob wears? Cause it's the actually. old golf visors that oh. like Spurrier would wear. Like, yeah. The yeah. big round ones, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it is. Yeah, whatever gets recruits, whatever whatever blends with recruits is is, is fine. Kirby's advisor guy too. Uh, yeah, I think Kirby's looks much. a little more sleek than this. this looks yeah. more like you're going to a poker game. Yes, uh, but I think in the end, to me, the biggest thing with it is that was probably somebody who, outside of figuring out who his offensive coach is, because he's obviously an offensive coach. That was probably Kalen DeBoer's. If it wasn't his next call, it should have been. Yeah. He's like, hey, lead recruiter, potential DC who's in our system can keep guys here. Like, I would think that's sort of his next call. And you've now pulled that from him. And he has to go get whomever else. Because I think Steele is retiring, right? Did I see that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. he is. Yeah, so, yeah. like, next, like, you've, you're now hurting an opponent just as much as you are helping yourself. And that, and that is a good thing. And and if Mr. Downs does happen to put his name in the portal, it makes it your, you as a landing spot that much more interesting, obviously. I don't think, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, but we'll I, see. I think, there, whoa, whoa, I think whoa, what was that? Look, I can just, I mean, the, the back channels are there. Like <laughs> the, the tug is going to be there. It's as if he jumps yeah. in. Now Alabama's also, that's probably, you, you say the first call Brent, that may have been it of DeBoer's like, who are the five guys I need to talk to right now? And yeah. say, just throw your phone in the ocean. Like, don't talk to anybody. Give me, yes. like, what Believe was the, in the, me. the Greg Believe Burns like, bench. give me 72 yeah. hours. Like, I'm sure DeBoer came in, like, give me 72 hours, and then you can think portal stuff after that if I haven't won your adoration. Hey, can you guys talk about the challenge that it is for a Kalen DeBoer coming to the Southeastern Conference and actually recruiting the way I'm not going to say the way Saban does. That's crazy. He's never going to do that. Nobody is. But is that a real challenge right now for Kalen DeBoer in Alabama? To obviously it is to compete with Kirby Smart, but laying the groundwork. He doesn't know the Buford coach. He doesn't know the GAC coach, etc. Is that a real impediment for him to get the guys that he needs to come to Alabama right now? Maybe at first a little bit, but it's not going to be some like you walk in and that A says a lot to those players, to those coaches. Um, you know, Kirby had an advantage being the assistant coach and knowing a lot of people in his network, but there are also new high school coaches every year that you have to Yeah, know. And Kirby doesn't know all of them, and right. he doesn't go see all of them. But you look at Georgia's recruiting staff and you say, in totality, yeah, they know pretty much everybody you need to know. So to me, it's going to depend who does DeBoer surround himself with. We know his offensive coordinator right now, yeah. and right. neither of those have ties to the South. So I would expect that the defense and then uh, running backs and receivers coaches are heavily Southern-based, if I had to guess. Mm-hmm. I, I heard Will Muschamp say this when he got hired at South Carolina, and I've thought about it for a long time since, that when you're a new head coach and you're building a staff, you need to have a quarterback coach, offensive coordinator, play caller, someone that's schematic with that. You need to have a technical person at offensive line, someone that can teach the steps and the technical aspects of playing offensive line. Everything else 
especially in his case because he was a defensive-minded coach, everything else is recruiter. And, like, yeah, you have to know football. You have to be able to do X's and O's. But those are the things that require the tacticians. And you need somebody on defense, but, like, Muschamp, Kirby, Saban, they were all that. And everyone else that came in ran what they wanted them to do. My question for all of that, which the personality part, and you hear Trent and Jed and Rock, like all the guys that are sort of in this recruiting world talk about, you know, haven't recruited this, like that being a thing. Mm-hmm. But I look at it more so from a two and twofold. One is just the monster that is the machine of recruiting in the SEC, like the staff and the all the things that go into it. Like yes, they have they obviously have some version of that at Washington, but maybe not to the degree like just the resource part of it mm-hmm. and having five or six, you know, all the different staff people and the director of this yeah. director, like all of the monster that Saban has sort of modeled and everybody now uses that uh, a similar model. That are you used to that and do you know how to manage and handle that and do you have the right people and hire the right people? But the second part of it is it also like if you're just a good person and you can you know, connect with kids and, you know, show them your vision and show them how you're going to one, improve them and two get them to the league. Like he's going to be able to walk into a receiver's room and say, Hey, Roma Dunze signed with me out of this, you know, out of this and look at him now. He's a top 10 pick or top 15 pick. Like he's going to look and say, Hey, Penix was, was just a guy. And now he plays and plays with me. And he's now this, like he's a Heisman finalist. Like, He's going to have that there, unlike you know others who have come from there and you know, went to say Auburn, yeah, uh, Brad Harson that did that didn't <laughs> necessarily have that cachet. I think, yeah. But who knows? Like the, yeah. the other thing, you don't Eddie, know. Hiring to me is a coin flip anyway. Yeah. What would stun you, Eddie, is the amount of college football players that aren't college football fans that walk yeah. into it not knowing. These guys, these programs, what happened? Like, you know, you are a big-time fan. You're obsessed with this. And so you're going to know these assistant coaches and where they've been and what they do in their history. Most of these high school kids, it's like, hey, that that coach from Georgia just came in. Let me talk to this guy. Now, Fran Brown didn't have ties to the South. But you saw when he left how many Southerners freaking love Fran Brown. Right. So it's more so what you do when you get here. And I think Kalen DeBoer can do that pretty well. Yeah. But, I mean, to be fair – Dane, you're right. I, I agree with you. But when the helicopter lands from Georgia at Buford High School, everyone knows who that is. When the helicopter yeah. lands and it's Kalen DeBoer, probably most of those players are like, who the hell is this guy? And that and that that means I think something. that it might mean something initially. And I think initially, you're going to see it yeah. you're, and you're going to see the answer to that question very quickly. Yeah. I mean, you already saw Isaiah Bond in the portal and go to Texas like Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, like Dane said, the back channels and all the things that go with that and the, the rating of rosters. But how much of that roster does he keep intact? How many choose to truly stay and, and you know, sort of preach the message themselves uh, in a way and his vision and all those kind of things? That will be very interesting to see over the next, what, two weeks? And perhaps weeks. Saban is the true exception to this. Because, like, I, I look at LSU and be like, oh, Ed Orsheron lost all his cachet within two years. Didn't matter who he was. Didn't matter what he did. You know, that team was the best team in the history of college football in a lot of metrics. Didn't matter. Two years later, he was out of there. Same thing you could say about uh, Gene Chizik at Auburn. Now, I know those are the programs that are up and down forever, right? Um, And and maybe Saban has a cachet that we just 
can't imagine. But from the things I was reading, it sounds like that he didn't really connect with young players. The way well, he also, was. maybe he's just sitting there in this, you know, he has his office that's right there. And then yeah. Coach DeBoer calls him up or he sends him texts, hey, I got three five stars on campus today. You want to you want to stop by and, uh, mm-hmm. and flash yeah. some rings and shake some hands and whatnot? Yeah. And then, then he says, hey, you need to come to Alabama. And I mean, yeah, that's another stop on the tour, right? Let me take you to Coach Saban's office. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that's that's a big shadow, though, Phil, that, that you're going in after Nick Saban. That's that takes a special coach. To, and that's why, you know, I thought I thought Lane Kiffin was the guy just because he's kind of got the craziness to him. But uh, I don't know. That's a that's a big shadow under Nick Saban. I don't think Lane's an institutional fit. There's a lot of things that go on with de- decision makers there. The other piece of it is I because I heard a lot of people say the same thing, Andy, and I don't think you're wrong about like you don't want to follow the guy. You want to be the guy that you're going to be the guy after him. the guy. Yeah. But. If you're a true competitor like any of these college football coaches are, you don't care because the Alabama job does not come open. Right. And now, Alabama pays really well. Yeah. Like, what's the worst case? You go in, you flame out, you get paid a lot of money, and you go away? Cool. That's a good life. You go back to you know Washington and go make the playoff Yeah, in that realm. Hey, I, I, wanna... I will say I was very interested if it was going to be someone like Lane, Sark, Dabo, those those three specifically, because that would have impacted Georgia's schedule yes. mightily. Like yeah. I was I was looking forward to the dominoes that were going to like if yeah. if it was Dabo, and then now Clemson's got to get a new coach, or if it yeah. was Lane, and now Ole Miss has got to get a new coach after the greatest you know transfer portal haul that we've ever seen. So I, I, that was what was going to be interesting to me. But you know, the boy, the dude, he, he wins. Like the winning numbers and the winning percentage for him wherever he's been, unreal. I do think what's not being talked about nationally, though, is that Kirby Smart is now the icon of college football. He is the guy. Everything runs around Kirby Smart. And if Georgia wins, it won't be surprising. And if Georgia loses, somebody else has an opportunity to like come in there and take Georgia's thing. That's the spot that Alabama's had for, what, 15 years. And now it's Georgia's. Yeah, and I mean, this is a, this is Kirby's time to take that next level of okay. This is my sport, and everyone else is just playing. What's that. the stat that's going around out there? He hasn't lost to an active coach since two thousand five. Power five. Power five coach since yeah, since twenty eighteen. Yeah. yeah. I mean, well, I mean, you think about even just the what we are currently. The two decisions that Saban made in two different games. One putting in Tua because if they leave Jalen Hurts in, that game is a blowout. Yeah. yeah. And two the quick defensive adjustments in this past SEC championship game mm-hmm. yeah. that he, you know, talked about after like, and now you're talking Kirby's with four and eight years. And cause I think they win this year. If, if they beat sure. Alabama, sure. So, like he's, he's the goat for a reason. Yeah. He's the goat. Well, he's unequivocally the goat. He has <laughs> six rings to prove it. And yet Kirby smart has a path to be there right beside him or mm-hmm. surpass him. Which Saban's is pretty got wild. Seven, right? thing. Yeah, because does like, Saban have seven? Yeah, yeah he's got seven. seven. Six yeah. at Bama, adding the right. one yeah. from LSU. But, like, even the fact – when Michael Jordan retired, and I suppose LeBron came pretty shortly after, like, you just – you were like, we're never going to see it like this again. And you can say that about Nick Saban other than the fact you're like, Jordan has a lane. Yeah. But my question is, with the way college football is – I don't see these coaches sticking around like Saban did for as long as he did. And nah. things have just changed so much. It's just, do y'all see Kirby Smart sticking around for 10 more years? Because I don't. Things yes. have gotten so – you do? It's what they do. 
I know, but Brent, it's just changed so radically in the past couple of years. It's I do just- think, and I they'll evolve and they'll change with it, and they'll figure out a way to make it to their to their advantage from a time and life standpoint. I think, and and, the, and I think there will be some changes over the next couple of years to help that from a okay. schedule standpoint. Well, that's, fair. that's fair. And yeah. like they're just they're these the competitive nature of this is it's a whole different level than any of us can even imagine. Like that's just what these guys are. I I was just leaning more into the grind. It's just the grind already was there and it's ramped up even more. so. And Saban and Saban said that in his press conference, you know? Yeah. So shout out to goat dog for the super chat there. The only thing I would say, Eddie, and because I agree with you, but that quickly turns into like Kirby being a victim of this, and like Kirby cre- helped create this. And oh, he created it, one, yeah. right? Yeah. Like the standard that it takes to do what Georgia has done, what Alabama had done for it to require what it does of these people. Like Spurrier didn't work that way, and he built right. a dynasty at Florida. Right? Like right. he was golfing a ton. Like <laughs> it's a different world. I get it. Maybe he didn't recruit as well. He didn't last as long. You know, toward the end, I suppose, but. He turned around two schools, Florida and South Carolina. So seems to me that there is a way to find more balance. And like Kirby's in control of that too. So See the, one last thing. I think we I don't know how much time. What do we how long we go? Hour? Or so? Well, we're, yeah, yeah we're gonna sneak in like 90 seconds of Braves at some point. Well, I was thinking a couple minutes of some UGA basketball. Yeah, that that's was I would prefer a to whole do lot, a whole lot of fun. Yeah. To watch until the last four minutes. To the la- yeah. They're missing yeah. one guy. To me, they're missing one player. And that's like they play with which I would love someone to ask Mike White, Mike White, hey, why does Sunahara start the game, play like the first four minutes, and then you don't see him again hardly much the rest of the game? That's a bizarre to me. Two, him and Melendez are kind of playing that three-man role. Mm-hmm. You're missing that player who's athletic, makes threes, and defends. Like, neither of those guys are giving you that right now. And if you had that, you would have slowed down the uh, connect from Tennessee that put, like, 30, almost 40 on you. That and then play play Noah, play Demery, and play Blue all together, those three guys on the court at the same time, and I'll be happy because that means less of 54 touching the ball That because that's a good thing to me. I'm well, a passionate about basketball. Yeah, I, I, I was pleased with what I saw, Brent. But what I saw down the stretch was a veteran team that knows how to win yeah. basketball games. Yeah. Georgia's not quite there yet. They're just no. not. They're close. They're getting there. And this is great. I'm excited about what I've seen. But Russell Chiwa to have the worst game of his basketball career, it seemed like, against Tennessee, we got completely out-rebounded. You know, you can't win basketball games. And then what down the stretch – Tennessee went 15 to one. We scored yeah. one point the last, what, three four minutes? Four minutes, I think. I think it was the last four minutes. Was. I mean, yeah. we just went absolutely cold. Now, I give them credit. They they played a great game up to that point, and this is the part that I love. Mike White was not taking any, like, gratitude or or, or, or any accolades after this game. He was pissed. Like the mor- was, no moral victories, so yeah. Yeah, this is not a moral victory. We need to be better than this, and that's what I loved about it. I love Mike White. I mean, just get more movement on offense. He's yeah. not Tom Crean, which is his best. Oh. Asset, right? <laughs> well, neither I, I still remember being a grad student and being right across from the coach in the Dennis Felton days when someone would turn the ball over and he would stomp on the floor like three consecutive times and then clap his hands really hard and be like, get out quickly. 
Yeah. So when is, I was a student, it was when, when Mark Fox would take off his jacket, you knew that like yes, it was real then. Like, like somebody had really royally screwed up at that point. And then by the time Crean got in there, he was just, you know, I don't know how the court where George's bench is doesn't have like grooves in it from where he just paced back. And he back. legit stole money from the from the school. Like <laughs> one of the next two. It. We beat South Carolina or Kentucky. I think we're a tournament team. You got to split one of the next two. And I think we can get there. And that's if you think about that. If in two years he gets them into the NCAA tournament, just gets them in the tournament. That's a that's a yep, round of applause, tip the cap, and now you got the guys coming in next year. Like I saw, that's the biggest piece uh, of it. Asa Newell's dad tweeted at Dash that he's ready to help Steg stay rocking. Like that guy's going to Steg was rocking. Steg was rocking. I think that's the big thing. I mean, it's it's loud now. Yeah, yeah. Still think that they should have got together with the city of Athens and that new classic center, like hockey arena that they're building. That should have been multi-purpose, even if it's a little smaller and then have it be basketball, men and women's volleyball and hockey all in downtown Athens. You can bar hop, you can go to the game, you can go to the restaurants. That's where it should have been. And then football could have taken over the footprint of where Stegman is. But, yeah, but they're never going to do that with all those upgrades. They already did with Stegman. I mean, that that's already in there, right? I mean, I mean, they already did spend so much money there. I'm good at spending good. other people's money, Eddie. I'm really well, good I, at it. I know. I know. One thing I did disagree with, it's, I mean, slight disagreement with Dash. He said it's the loudest he's heard it in years. And that's, I agree, this is a long time since it's been that loud. But the one that I vividly remember being as loud as it could be was they played Kentucky when Rondo was at Kentucky. And Kentucky was up like 15. And Georgia started roaring back and got it and took the lead. And the, and we had my wife and I, we brought our son who was like six months old at the time. It got so loud in there that we had to leave. Like it, it was too loud for him to be in the building. That's what the year, one I what year was that? What year was uh, that? So when Ron, uh, let's see, oh, like oh seven, like oh seven ish. Yeah. Yeah. Oh seven. So like maybe February oh seven. And like that. a couple We're years later, going back to oh seven to the last time Steg was that loud. <laughs> I well, I, I wasn't there. Hey, I wasn't there for the Tennessee game yesterday, but it, similarly with Kentucky, when John Wall came and Georgia yeah, competed yeah. well with them, because I know Charles Barkley came to that game too. Yeah, that's right. It was a that's quick right. shoot down from Atlanta for that. And it was pretty loud that game. And I want to say by the end of it, Kentucky pulled away. But yeah. it wasn't for 35 minutes. Like Georgia had a chance. And Georgia it's a lot of positivity, though, and looking forward oh, yeah. to watching. There's yeah. They actually, like, Demory's a player. Yep. They're fun to watch. That's the Luke thing. A player. I think oh, it's more minutes. Yeah. yeah. Well, pound for pound, I've been told that NIL for Georgia basketball is is probably more successful than NIL for Georgia football right now. Good. It's like pound really, for, like not, obviously it's not more money, but yeah. I'm just saying in terms of like using that to get what you need, Georgia basketball NIL is doing super this well. This town and this university is starving for basketball just starving for it i mean give us something go to the tournament it's it it, it put this town on its ear athens i mean if they make the tournament you going to the first round eddie depending on where it is <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's, if it's greensboro right answer if it's greensboro or yeah you know, yeah tampa orlando be, yeah absolutely where it's drivable yeah. But I if it's like you. Portland, you're like, no, I'm good. Yeah. I've never, I've, I would love to go and hang out a whole day. Sure. Like at the NC where you can just go and see you know, game after game after game. Never done that. That would be if they go like, let's, all right, let's go. I'll, I'll cover yeah. the, I'll, Roddy can 
That'd be an expense trip or something. I'll cover the team. <laughs> well, I hope everyone enjoyed our Braves analysis for the evening. This is fantastic. Um, and Fastball. Power power bullpen arms. We have one That's comment from James Carraway. I see it. He said, Chris Sell gives him some FU, that little yes. roster. That he's, and that is exactly right. If he, that and power uh, bullpen arms. You have to assume health. If he's healthy, you may have an ace being your four. That's This might be our Jock Peterson, Chris Sale. He, he's, they avoided arbitration with him. He signed a one-year deal, so he'll be a free agent at the end of the year unless they sign a deal with him. I think the Braves so, have made it obvious they have no intention of signing for him. He's not coming back. No, he's yeah. not coming back. That will be a Dodger the following year. Oh, it sucks, about it, man. But <laughs> it, it do be like that sometimes. Oh, it, it's, yeah, he's going to be out there with Freddie. It sucks, man. Yeah. So. Hey guys, thanks for letting us come in and crash your party. Um, I hope we perform to the expectations that you said. Hey, can which I say real quick? Ball. Thank you, Dane, and thank you, Brent. It's nice to have some competent hosts on the show for a night. Thank you. Eddie's getting fired. And with that, we're out. <laughs>